0: Hi and welcome to the history of Denmark. Episode 7 Swayne Estrella and his sons. Hello, everyone. Last time we covered the aftermath of the death of Knut the Great following his sons, Harald Herford and Harthacnut, as they fought for control of Denmark, Norway and England. In the end, both men died at a young age, and Magnus the Good of Norway usurped Denmark, but the kingdom was reclaimed by Sven Estudson, who was the cousin of Harthacnut. We left off in the year 1066, 19 years into his reign. In that same year, his rival Harald Hardrada, failed to take over England, and his dream of reunifying the North Sea Empire was never realized. In today's episode, we will cover the reigns of Swain Estrusson and his sons in the period 1066-1134. to 1134. During these 68 years, and beginning with Swain Estrusson, Denmark will truly enter the Middle Ages. Swain's reign is defined by his relationship with the Church. As we have touched on in other episodes, Denmark was under the influence of the Archbishopric of Hamburg Bremen, which sought to incorporate Scandinavia into its ecclesiastical dominion. Previous kings, especially Canute the Great, had excellent relations with the Pope, and Swain Estusson sought to continue this trend. We will continue with church history shortly, but I want to cover Swain's family life first. Please pay attention here, because it is quite complicated. King Sweyn was married three times during his life, his first wife being Gunhild, who was his niece. The fact that they were related in this way caused the Archbishop of Hamburg Bremen to demand that they divorce each other, which put a strain on the relationship between him and Sweyn. After Sweyn agreed to dissolve the marriage, the Pope had to step in to salvage the diplomatic relationship between the Archbishop and Sweyn. The king then married the daughter of the King of Sweden... But she died within a year, in 1049, and please note that we've gone a bit back in time here. His third and final marriage was to Thora, who was the widow of Harald Hardrada. He had one child with Gunhild, known to history as Swain the Crusader. This is because he took up the call of Pope Urban II in 1095 to liberate the Holy Land from the Muslims, and he led a contingent of 1,500 Danish knights through Anatolia. The sources describe how he won renown for fighting against the Turks, and how he was ultimately killed in battle. This left Sven Estrusson with only the 18 children he had with his concubines. I have decided that I will deal with the relevant ones as they each ascend to the throne, so just keep in mind that he has 18 illegitimate children. Okay, let us continue with church matters. After his feud with the Archbishopric of Hamburg Bremen was resolved, Sven Estusson began to work on his lifelong goal of establishing a Danish Archbishopric independent of the German Church. To this end, he corresponded with the Pope to reorganize the Danish bishoprics into eight dioceses. Dioceses are provinces controlled by Catholic bishops. Also on the website you will find a map showing the different church provinces. Swain donated large sums of money to the new bishops to strengthen their position, and you can now begin to see why he is considered the first medieval king of Denmark. He was building a new realm, one in which the church and the nobility were stronger. During his reign, hundreds of new wooden churches were constructed, and many were later rebuilt in stone. Though he would not personally succeed in creating a Danish archbishopric, his sons would later finish what he had started. As you recall, much of what we know about the early history of Denmark comes from Adam of Bremen, a German scholar, but in fact, his source for much of what he writes is Swein Estruson himself, as I noted in an earlier episode. Adam traveled to his court and stayed there long enough to develop a friendship with the Danish king, and was able to write about the history and geography of Scandinavia based on what Swain told him. Adam died in 1081, a few years after Swein Estruson. Both Adam of Bremen and Pope Gregory VII describe Svein Estelsson as a friendly as well as a scholarly man, but Adam lets us know that he was not without his faults. Sweyn was supposedly a glutton, and the fact that he had many concubines was also a fault of his. Speaking of the king's friends, Bishop Wilhelm of Roskilde was also a close friend of the king. Roskilde was one of the most important dioceses, so it was important that the king stayed on friendly terms with the bishop. Several stories about their friendship have come down to us, intending to portray Svein Estusson as a pious king, but the truth of them are doubtful at best. However, I am still going to recount them to you, since they let us know how the king was perceived or wanted to be perceived. One story goes that on New Year's Eve, Swain was mocked by some of his guests behind his back, and he took revenge the next day by having them murdered when they attended church. This caused Bishop Wilhelm to condemn the king and excommunicating him. When Sweyn's men drew their swords to attack the bishop, the king ordered them to stand down, and he left the scene. After isolating himself at his farm, he removed his expensive garments and dressed in shepherd's clothes. Then he walked barefoot to the church, where he cast himself in front of the bishop and repented. Wilhelm accepted the king's confession and lifted the excommunication. Another story is recounted by Saxo Grammaticus, and it concerns the death of Swain, which happened in either 1074 or 1076. It claims that when the funeral procession was taking place, and Bishop Wilhelm heard of the death of the king, he was so stricken with grief that he himself died. His body was then taken to the place of burial for Swain, and they were put to rest next to each other. In actuality, as told by the Roskilde Chronicle, Wilhelm likely died before the king, and the story intends to emphasize their close friendship. Before we say goodbye to Svein Esteson completely, though, we should also cover his foreign policy. Like Harald Hadrada, Svein had not relinquished the dream of the North Sea Empire his uncle and grandfather had created, and he sought to reconquer England from the Normans. William the Conqueror was not exactly a popular king, and Swain attempted to utilize this fact. In 1069, he sent an invasion fleet under the command of his brother to England, and the army took over York. After the Normans showed up with their cavalry-based army, though, the Danes decided that it would be better to receive the Danegeld and then return home. In 1074 or 1075, Swain tried again a final time, but this invasion went even worse. When reflecting on the legacy of Swen Æstøsson, one should not look too much at his military performances, but rather his accomplishments in organizing the Danish kingdom and his dealings with the church. He ruled as king of Denmark for 25 years and acted as a bridge between the Viking Age and the Middle Ages. He was succeeded by his eldest son, Harald III, also known as Harald Hen. The strange surname Hen means whetstone, likely referring to his reputation of being a soft ruler, who was unwilling to force his will through. Nevertheless, the chronicler Elnoth, who was an exile from England, recounts that the nobles preferred Harald to his fierce brother Canute, and thus Harald was elected king. Harald Hen continued his father's work with the church, and made correspondence with the pope in Rome, who promised him that Denmark would have an archbishopric of its own in time. Harald is also known for his legal reforms. For example, the Roskilde Chronicle mentions that he made the royal forests available for public use, and he also abolished the practice of trial by combat, instead adopting English legal customs. I should mention that the reason why Sven Estrusson and his sons were able to pursue a Danish archbishopric independent of the Germans was that Pope Gregory VII and Emperor Henry IV of the Holy Roman Empire were engaged in the so-called investiture controversy regarding the right to appoint bishops. This meant that the popes had an interest in strengthening the Danes, since it would in turn weaken the Germans. Anyway, if you go with 1074 as the date of Sven Estrusson's death, Harald managed to rule for six years, as he died in 1080. He left no children and was buried in Dalby in Scania. He was succeeded by the aforementioned Canute, known to history as Canute IV, or Canute the Saint. His story is told by Elnath, the same English monk I mentioned before, who wrote a chronicle of Saint Canute. Canute had participated in his father's attacks on England with the aim of wresting control of the kingdom from William the Conqueror, and he had also fought with his brother-in-law against the Wends to the southeast. Canute sought to strengthen the rule of the king by restricting the rights of his nobles to govern, and this made him unpopular. It also didn't help that they did not approve of his militaristic objectives. He attacked Baltic tribes such as the Estonians and the Sambians in Prussia. He further strengthened the monarchy by assigning his own tax collectors all over the country and imposing extra taxes. He continued working with the church and giving donations to the different bishops. On one occasion he granted the cathedral of Lund as well as the lands around it to the bishop of Lund and the agreement is described in a letter which has come down to us, one of the first legal documents from Denmark in the Middle Ages. The document gives us insight into the internal affairs of Denmark at the time as well as showing which powers the king possessed over the church. Canute IV sets three conditions for granting the cathedral and the lands to the church. First, he claims the right to collect fines from men who wish to rid themselves of their status as outlaws. Second, he claims the right to collect fines from men who wish to avoid military service. And third, he required the church to give him an escort of horses whenever he traveled through the lands he was giving away. As you can tell, these are generous terms, and would likely have increased Canute's standing with the church. The Danish military was bolstered by the implementation of mandatory military service for young men, and King Canute planned an invasion of England in order to reunite the kingdoms of Denmark and England. A great fleet was assembled in northern Jutland, but it had to stay in the harbour because the king was preoccupied with fending off the Germans in the south. When the men became restless, they sent the king's brother Olaf as a representative to persuade Canute to set sail. However, Canute feared Olaf's growing power and popularity, and he plotted with his brother Eric to imprison Olaf when he arrived. He was then sent off to Flanders, where he was put in a cell by Robert I, who was the father-in-law of Canute. When the harvest approached, many of the men went home, and because of this, the tax collectors approached them to collect a fine for deserting the army. This caused a rebellion against Canute, based in northern Jutland. Canute fled to Schleswig and then to Olense, where he took refuge in the church of St. Albany with his brother Benedict and 17 of his closest men. On the 10th of July, 1086, the church was taken and Canute the Holy was killed. Olaf was exchanged for his brother Nils and proclaimed king of Denmark. Canute would later be elevated to sainthood, and this fact would be used by the later kings to continue his goals of strengthening the monarchy. In the following years, the harvest was poor, and famine raged throughout northern Europe. Olaf earned the nickname Hunger because his people believed that the famine was caused by the murder of Canute. Saxo Grammaticus later writes about the famine and greatly exaggerated its magnitude in order to bolster the story of divine punishment. By demonizing Olaf, Canute's sainthood would seem more legitimate, and therefore the monarchy would seem stronger. Other than the fact that Denmark was plagued by famine, we don't know much about the nine-year reign of Olaf Hunger. He died on the 18th of August 1095 under mysterious circumstances and as the only Danish king in history, his burial place is unknown. The fourth son of Svein Estrelson to ascend to the throne was Eric Evergood, also known as Eric the Very Good. He was the same Eric who had helped Knut IV imprison Olaf. Eric was well liked due to the fact that he was outgoing, talkative and charming, and also because the famine ceased throughout the time he took power, which was interpreted as God returning his favor to the Danes. I should also note that in the same year as he was elected king, 1095, Pope Urban II delivered a speech at Clermont, where he called for a crusade against the Saracens. This caused the first crusade to be launched, and in 1099, Jerusalem was retaken for Christendom. For a detailed history of the crusades, I recommend the podcast, History of the Crusades, by Sharon Estor. Anyway, in the beginning of his reign, he waged war against the Wends, which were raiding southern Denmark. He defeated them and conquered the island of Rügen, placing his son-in-law Henry as his vassal Lord of the Wends. One of his greatest accomplishments was the result of negotiations with the Pope in Rome, whom he visited in 1099. Denmark was finally granted its Archbishopric of Lund, and Bishop Asser was made its first Archbishop, with his dominion covering all of Scandinavia. At those same negotiations, the Pope agreed to raise Eric's brother Canute to sainthood. As a fun side note, on the way back, Eric made a deal with the city of Lucca that Nordic pilgrims who stopped by the city would have the right to receive free wine. When Eric returned home, he announced his intention to go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, him being the first European monarch to do so after its reconquest four years earlier. He left his son, Canute Lavart, in Denmark, and traveled with his wife, Bodil, through Novgorod in Russia to Constantinople, where he was welcomed, warmly, by Emperor Alexius Comnenus, who had asked the Pope for help against the Seljuk Turks in the first place. Even though he became ill while in Constantinople, he decided to press on, and he set sail for Cyprus. While in Paphos, he died of his illness, aged 48, having ruled Denmark for 8 years. His wife, Bodil, made it to Jerusalem, but she also died there of illness. Eric was buried in Paphos, where you can still visit his grave today, and see a plaque which was raised in his memory. I will put a picture of this plaque on the website. His journey was not in complete vain, because he managed to send home several relics, including a fragment of the true cross, on which Jesus was crucified. He had ordered that a church be built in his home city of Slangerup, and the largest stone church in Scandinavia at the time was erected there. However, it was torn down after the Protestant Reformation in 1536. As a sign that the nobles of Denmark possessed some influence in the matter of succession, neither Canute Lavard nor his illegitimate brother Harold became king, but instead the fifth son of Svein Estrason, Nils, was chosen. He was the one who had been exchanged with Olaf as a captive in Flanders. Nils continued to work with the church as he instituted the tithe in Denmark, which is a tax going directly to the church. He also developed the bureaucracy by sending his personal guardsmen out into the countryside to act as tax collectors and administrators. Meanwhile his nephew, the son of Eric Evergood, Canute Lavard, had been fostered by the powerful House of Viden, based in Sealand and had later visited the court of the Duke of Saxony, Lothair, who became king of Germany in 1125. Canute had grown popular, and Nils granted him the title of duke, giving him control over Schleswig. Together, they waged war against the Slavic Wends in the 1120s, but without any major gains. Nils was the first king of Denmark to style himself king by the grace of God, indicating his close relationship with the church, and especially Archbishop Asser. In 1131, Nils was getting old, and the question of succession was troubling his son, Magnus the Strong. He feared that his popular cousin, Canute Lavard, the Duke of Schleswig, would be elected if Nils died, since he had proven himself both in war and peace, and he was also the vassal of his friend, the German King Lothair. Therefore, Magnus killed his cousin Canute on the 7th of January 1131. This led Canute's brother, Eric Emyun, to rise up against King Nils, and he declared himself king. He asked Lothair, who had now become emperor, to assist him, but Lothair was bribed by Nils to back off. Magnus the Strong was crowned co-king with his father Nils, and they swore fealty to the German Emperor Lothair. The following civil war lasted from 1131 to 1134, with Magnus and Nils winning most of the skirmishes. On the 11th of June, 1134, however, the two sides met in the Battle of Fodevi in Scania, and Eric Emmun defeated his rivals with the help of Archbishop Asser, who switched sides due to the fear of the new German influence. Magnus died in the fighting along with most of his supporters. His father, King Nils, fled to Schleswig, where he was killed two weeks after the battle as revenge for the murder of Canute. Eric Emmun then became King Eric II. Ending the rule of the sons of Swend Estrason. Magnus left one son, Canute Magnuson, who will be important later. Eric the began his reign by redistributing the lands and titles of those he had defeated in the war to his loyal followers. For instance, he gave the bishopric of Roskilde to the nephew of Archbishop Asser named Eskil. King Eric's nickname, Emun, means the memorable, which is fitting, because his legacy is quite controversial. If you read the Roskilde Chronicle, you will find that he was an evil tyrant, but if you read Saxo Grammaticus, you will get the impression that he was a glorious king who restored order to a realm plagued by civil war. With this in mind, let us go through the deeds of his three-year reign and take a look for ourselves. First, we have the not-so-flattering deeds. When his half-brother Harald, whom I earlier described as the illegitimate brother of Canute Lavard, claimed that he should be co-ruler with Eric Emun, the king ambushed Harald and had him and eight of his sons killed. Only one escaped. Saxo describes how in 1136 he went on crusade against the Slavic Wends and subjugated the island of Rügen once more. The main fortress of Arcona was captured by digging a canal which deprived the besieged of their water supply. When he had left, however, the Wens renounced Christianity and went back to their old ways. Eric II also attempted to claim Norway together with an exiled Norwegian king, resulting in Oslo being burned to the ground in 1137, but stiff resistance elsewhere meant that he failed his invasion. As for his positive actions, Saxo notes that he was harsh against the jealous and greedy nobles, as well as enacting the laws of old, but the Roskilde Chronicle denounces him as rex tyrannus, a tyrant king. In 1137, one of his guardsmen, nicknamed Black Plow, stabbed him with a spear, killing him. Eric the Memorable died after three years on the throne. He was succeeded by his nephew also named Eric, but nicknamed the Mild. Eric the Mild had distinguished himself in the battle where Magnus the Strong was killed, as he led the German mercenary cavalry on behalf of his uncle. He would have to fight for the throne, though, as Olaf, the last surviving son of the illegitimate Harold, contested his claim to the throne. Olaf took control of Scania in the east, and in eleven thirty nine he invaded Sealand. Thus, civil war again came to Denmark. During the year 1139, the two sides clashed in eight different battles, most of which Eric won. Olaf went into exile in Sweden, and when he returned in either 1141 or 1142, he was defeated near Helsingborg in Scania and killed. Eric the Mild ruled until 1146, when he fell ill and had to abdicate. Swain III, the son of Eric Emune, was elected king in eastern Denmark, while the aforementioned Canute Magnusson, the son of Magnus the Strong, claimed the West. Ten more years of civil war followed between the two cousins, who both sought assistance from the German king and later emperor, Frederick Barbarossa. Meanwhile, Valdemar, who was the son of Canute Lavard, joined the fighting, making the conflict a three-way civil war. In 1152, the German emperor accepted Swain III as king, but ordered him to give Canute and Valdemar appropriate amounts of land each. Swain later tried to use the help of Henry the Lion to take over Denmark, but the nobles forced the three parties to make peace. Swain settled in Scania, Valdemar received Uland, and Canute received the islands. During the following years, Valdemar married Canute's sister, making them allies. When the parties met in Roskilde in 1157 to formalize the peace agreement, Sweyn tried to assassinate his two opponents. Canute was killed, but Valdemar escaped, reigniting the civil war. Two months later, Valdemar met Sweyn at Grade Heath in a short but brutal battle. Sweyn had miscalculated where Valdemar's army would be, and his army was surprised. After it became clear that Valdemar would win the battle, Sweyn fled into a swamp, but was taken captive and killed with an axe. the III is known to history as Sweyn Grade, named after the place where he lost his life. Valdemar became the sole king of Denmark, and the beginning of his reign in 1157 marks the end of the troubled times caused by the assassination of Canute Lavard. The following 84 years are known as the Golden Age of the Valdemars. Join me next time to find out why. Today we have covered the reigns of Svein Esterson and his five sons, as well as the turbulent times in which civil war raged in Denmark. The reason it took me a while to make this episode was that I was very busy with schoolwork, and I am afraid I will be even more busy in the coming two weeks. After that, we have Christmas coming up, so I can't be sure of when I will release another episode. Please be patient and have a nice Christmas. If you like this podcast, please recommend it to your friends. Bye for now.